Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Oh, just having a Ben Jarowski show as I speak. It is, what is the day? Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. The headline in the New York Times says it all. McCarthy first to be removed as speaker. Uh, that's all I've been talking about all day. Uh, endlessly, obsessively, every detail uh, parsed, analyzed. A second headline has just popped over my phone. Uh, this is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> it happened to be at my fingertips. Yeah, he's uh, 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 he shows his um, his headline. Uh, anyway, um, a second headline has just popped over my phone, which has has me kind of smiling. I just uh, this city of Chicago lived here for so long. I just I delight in the city of Chicago. So apparently, the city of Chicago, uh, the administration of Mayor Brandon Johnson, has cut a deal with NASCAR. They're going to bring NASCAR back. I'm laughing. What a joke NASCAR was last year. It was like God's way of punishing us for such a frivolous thing. NASCAR it was like three days of torrential downpour, you know. But like somebody somewhere in the city of Chicago has decided that this. This is a good idea just to shut down everything and put a racing car in there. But I, I just got to tell you, the core audience for NASCAR despises Chicago. <laughs> I'm just telling you that. They pretty, okay. you. Wait, hold on, distinguished guest. You haven't even been invited yet. He's like, this distinguished guest is so eager to talk. I'll let you come on. I'm going to finish this rant and then bring you on. Right. They hate you, Chicago. NASCAR does. But if you want to bring NASCAR to Chicago, uh, Mayor Johnson and Mayor Johnson administration to distract us from all the pressing issues we have, go ahead. Jane Burton used to do the same thing. This is way before my distinguished guest was even, he's probably a teenager. Uh, they used to call it bread and circuses. <laughs> and it would be like uh, festivals and parties. I love festivals and parties too. Just not into NASCAR. I just think it's so funny. The city of Chicago. Let's bring NASCAR back. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, I am Dan Montgomery. I'm president of the Illinois Federation of Teachers and an AFT vice president and still consider myself a high school English teacher because I did that for 18 years in Skokie at the Great Niles North High School. 
and I'm on leave from there still to this day. So, uh, and uh, you are also uh, have some thoughts on NASCAR, and you are also folks can't see this, but there is. I love this. I don't know where you are, Dan, when you're uh, conducting this conversation with me, but there's a Marx Brothers poster in the background. Duck soup. Lots of love for having a Marx Brothers. I love. Thank the, you. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a great poster. I'm just in the spare room in my house in the office and guest room kind of thing. And yeah, they have to put up with the Marx Brothers. if They're going to stay with me. So I love the Marx Brothers. Um, uh, I just one thing on that. I am not I'll just like put this out there. Not a NASCAR fan at all. However, uh, and I was predisposed to feel like you about the whole thing. And I, I actually wasn't here. I was out of town the weekend it happened here this summer. But someone in, in sort of arguing about it with someone, they they sort of said, you know, you really didn't get it. Because I, I was saying, you know, what was the economic impact and things like that? And they said, well, who knows? Because it was so curtailed and hampered by the weather. So maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing to give them one more chance. So I thought, eh, okay, that's not crazy. The other thing, though, I told you I grew up in Detroit. In Detroit for years, we had a Grand Prix race downtown, which was pretty cool. I I'd be more in favor, and I know there's been some talk about Grand Prix, you know, in Chicago. I think I'd rather see a Grand Prix race in Chicago. I think that's kind of cooler. Well, I, I I don't think the Grand Prix crowd hates Chicago as much as the NASCAR crowd. Uh, and I will point this out. So there are no details. This is not why Dan is on the show. We're going to get to why he's on the show in a little bit. But since we're talking about this, uh, the story that accompanied the headline that I read offered no details whatsoever uh on where the the next race would be the race course they said hey it was a it, it kind of reminded me uh i remember this one okay i'm not saying nascar is bad as the parking meter deal not saying that please but, thank oh, you okay good <laughs> but uh uh, so Mayor Daley made that horrendous decision, uh, which was supported by the Chicago City Council and perhaps the dumbest single move of this century uh, that and that's saying a lot uh, by the city of Chicago to sell a source of income. <laughs> it's like, okay. So some billionaires are getting rich and Chicago's broke. OK, that was the stupidest uh, decision ever when Mayor Rob thought he was slick. And so what he did was he passed like a uh, an amended version of it to cut off at the knees anybody who was suing to blow up the deal. Uh, and then he said, what a great triumph for the city of Chicago. By then, everybody in Chicago was so exhausted, Dan. They said, oh, just do whatever you want, Mayor Rob. Go close some more schools. And uh, that's our city. That's our, our mayor. So they love diversions. Uh, I just. I, I need to see if we're going to have an honest discussion, which we don't usually have in the city of Chicago, Dan. And uh, if we're going to have an honest discussion about the value to Chicago, need to see numbers. And so far, there are no numbers provided numbers like how much did it cost the taxpayers in Chicago? Uh, you know, and they have these inflated numbers that they kick out, which are so unbelievable. Like some the Chamber of Commerce estimates that eight point nine million dollars came into the city from out of towners. Hey, hey, I'll just read any old thing they read give it. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, didn't well, mean to go on that. Well, that's okay, mate. Um, I just gotta say, let me just put this out there, big disclaimer. I love Brandon Johnson. I think he's doing a fantastic job. Um, I, I really do. I, I say that very seriously, not just because I'm a teacher and he's from my union, but, um, and I don't think it's the worst decision. Um, and I'm not privy to any discussions around this and I don't know what the contract looked like and so forth, but, um, so anyway, 
Okay, I'll, I will agree with you on that last point. It is definitely not the worst decision. I don't even know if it makes the top 10 of the worst decisions that the city of Chicago has made in this century. Go ahead. Well, that's true. That's absolutely true. And uh, by the way, on the, on the parking meter deal, a friend of mine, a guy named Don Cohen, uh, who um, is on the board with me on the Shanker Institute board, wrote a book not so long ago, in the last year, I think, called The Privatization of Everything. And it's a really good book. And there's an entire chapter about the 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 the, the parking meter deal, which is is just I, it's criminally bad. Like I, I don't I would what I want Brandon to do is to say screw it, we're off, we're done. And I, I don't know you know if there's any mechanism to do that. like come sue the city. I don't care to shame them, do something, blow up this deal. I, I know Rom tried to lock it down, which was awful, but. I don't know. It's it's it it's gonna and it's gonna be bad for another what fifty years? Yeah, no, years? I I uh, I would urge. Uh, we're 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 going far afield, uh, but I would urge Mayor Brandon Johnson. Uh, that would be so popular across the board, uh, and uh, but there's constraints on mayors that uh, pod sh- that podcast show hosts and union presidents don't have, uh, and that is. Well, I mean, it's the law, the laws, oh, the law, oh, the law. That's interesting. You name the law right now. I'm I'm following very closely Donald Trump's fraud case in New York, where his argument is the law is it's okay to break the law. That's it's okay. The law is a very, you know, interesting uh, a concept. Uh, but I used to make this argument all the time. Uh, Mayor Rahm came in and he cut teachers' salary. That last contract, he he said, "No, no, I'm not giving you that uh, raise. It's in your contract because I don't want to give you that raise. I think you're getting too much money." Um, and that so in that case, a contract uh, was made out of water and sand. But when it came to the parking meter deal, oh, this is a contract. I cannot. It's etched in stone. So it's interesting how the law is interpreted. You know what I'm saying, Dan? Like they interpret it. What, what, all right. This is not like those why legislators and some Democrats, when they passed the illegal pension uh, gutting bill in 2013, whatever year that was, led by Daniel Biss and overturned by the Illinois Supreme Court, seven to nothing. But they would say to us, well, you know, you got to pay the bondholders first because that's in the Constitution. Like, wait a minute. The pension codes <laughs> in the Constitution. No, you're why right. do you think the plain language of that doesn't mean anything? Oh, you know, so. Yeah. By the way, very smooth the way Dan Montgomery uh, managed to get Dan, Danny Biss's name. <laughs> Led by Daniel Biss. Listeners are going, he did? I thought he was the mayor of Evanston and a juggler. He is now. He is, he is now. Did you know he's a juggler? Dan Biss, he can juggle. Literally, I'm not just talking I've about I've seen juggling. him juggle. I, I, I watched that YouTube. <laughs> okay. I, All right. Uh, don't get me started. Let's, 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 let's talk get to why. Really positive. It, 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 all, it all connects. And so a shout out to Monica Trevino. She was the one who suggested this conversation. One of my favorite people. So it's the 30th anniversary of a significant uh, bill legislation that was passed. Uh, let's do the math. Wait a, while, wait a while on that. I think it's 40th. You, I sit corrected. And I was about to brag about how I passed algebra at Evanston High School. And I... Mr. Sibley, I apologize. I think he was a member of your union. I apologize, He's Mr. Sibley. by the IEA. If you'd gone to Niles North or Niles West or Niles East, you would have Wait, who's, where's who, Evanston High School's teachers? Which it, union are they in? They're in the IEA, 
and I'm president of the IFT. Right? Oh, sorry. I'm <laughs> screwing everything up. Uh, <laughs> I still apologize to Mr. Sibley for getting my math wrong, but it was 40 years ago. And Niall, by the way, let me just brag about Niles West. I think it's it's four Nobel Prize laureates, uh, Niles East, graduated from Niles East. Who? And uh, I don't know their names. They were all in math. <laughs> they, I mean, it was a long time ago. Niles East closed in 1980. Yeah, they, Niles, they are you sure all, it was Niles East and not Niles West? It, it was Niles East, and I read I, – somebody showed me an old Tribune article where they interviewed these guys. I think it was three of them, actually, and they were like in medicine. They were all science, uh, but um, they all talked about the amazing teachers they had at Niles East, public school teachers. Merrick Garland, graduate of Niles West. Edie Hirsch, former poet laureate of the United States, graduate of Niles West. No, so, I'm going to give a shout-out. Skokie, Linkawood. You guys know how to run a public school system. I'm just going to say it. You don't play around. And uh, it's just like you believe in the concept of public education. You don't cry about your property taxes and sob. And you don't waste money on stupid TIF deals. And okay. I never heard anybody in Skokie said, hey, let's have NASCAR come to downtown Skokie. What <laughs> <laughs> a great idea. <laughs> never heard anybody say that well, we're going to go down oakton avenue right down oakton avenue yeah no that's a good <laughs> yeah, point You're right yeah, about I don't know everybody. all people in skokie are focused public education you don't okay. need money for well, nascar go ahead you're bringing us squarely back to the the main topic right and and i would just offer you and i completely agree with what you're saying and i for years i have said if you want to see like a paragon what again exemplar is probably the word i use like what public education can do in this country to people from all economic, ethnic, racial, you know, sort of socioeconomic stripes. We've got like 85 languages spoken in those schools. And look at what they're doing. I would go to uh, Skokie to, you know, D219, District 219, the high school district there. Uh, it, it's really it's really remarkable. And and, you know, the, the it, it's the kids, they, they get along. It's a successful school district. It's been this way for years. And it has, I would argue, the best teacher's contract in America. Well, and, they're not, and they're crying about it. They're proud of it. That was a great riff because I'll, I'll take it one step further. You don't see Skokie trying to lure the bears to Skokie. And you know what? I'm going to give a shout out to Arlington Heights. Right now, the bears are being prevented from building their little fantasy dome in Arlington Heights. But because of resistance on the issue of property tax diversion by the Arlington Heights school districts, are those, by the way, members they of your are. union? Yeah, we those are IFT districts out there. So, um, yeah. See, see, Chicago, these are communities. Education is number one. They don't turn teachers' unions into demons. They don't demonize their teachers. They don't divert money from their schools to feed nascar or the bears it's all about public education that's me talking dan i just had to say it i got a lot of love for scope and that. how they go about their business and i arlington heights has shown me a little something with the school districts out there saying no to the bears of course then the bears look for the suckers in naperville Waukegan. you know they're quiet in that front dan i don't know if you're a football fan you're probably a lions fan but oh, um <laughs> the Lions are doing well this year. You should be a Lions fan. I'm not compl- complaining about it. They also have a bright future. I, um, you know, and this is, 
you know, goes back to what, what, whether they're sports teams or not, it's just as such of like tired playbook among corporations to dangle the threat of moving around, you know, unless we get tax breaks. And I know the, the good jobs first people, I'm forgetting the economist name, Greg something or other. Yes. Thank you. Uh, you know, written about this, like they almost never leave, by the way, they get the incentives and then they end up staying, you know, it's a shakedown. It's a shakedown. It's a shakedown. All right. Uh, so I'll go back to my introduction and I will pr- correct myself, pretend I never made the mistake. It was 40 years ago, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and uh, what blows my mind, I saw, I don't know if I, uh, Monica told you this, I told her, I saw this clip independent of, of arranging this interview with you on, um, I think it was probably your union putting it on Instagram. I don't know who else would have done it, of Governor Jim Thompson in 1983. Uh, giving a speech. And now just uh, millennial listeners out there, Jim Thompson was the governor of the state of Illinois for about 14 years uh, in the late 70s and the 80s. He was a Republican. So I'm going to repeat that for you millennials out there. He was a Republican. It was a, to say it was a different world is, it's so understatement, Dan. He was the one who signed the legislation uh, that is now 40 years old and that has fortified school districts like Skokie, like Lincolnwood, like Darlington Heights uh, ever since uh, and my beloved Evanston High School. Uh, and, um, well, there was already a union in Chicago. But anyway. Uh, well, so, yeah, but oh, they, you know, collect their bargaining rights. So, right. Okay. Um, so tell our listeners what, that legislation consisted of. Go yeah, ahead. sure. So before 1983, that was the year it went into effect, um, there was no public sector collective bargaining law in Illinois. And we were about the last state, as I understand it, that had those laws to get that law. So what, what that meant is prior to that, <clears throat> you know, there were unions. My union in Skokie was chartered in 1956. The Chicago Teachers Union is Local one of the AFT chartered in 1918. So, you know, there were unions, but they didn't have the legal right to collectively bargain. So, you know, when I I started teaching Ben in Skokie in 1993, when I must have been like eight, I guess. And, and you know, the veterans there, there were people who started in the early 60s when I started who were at the end of, you know, a 30 some year career. Right. And they told me that what used to happen, they'd go into school and on any given Monday, there'd be right when you got into the building, there was a new little handbook that the the administration of the school district republished. And they say, okay, we're making a change. You know, now you're teaching six classes, you know, and then like, they'd be like, what? You know, it was all unilateral, never discussed with the union or anything like that. And then they, they had no, no contract, no enforceable contract that they could really, you know, take to arbitration or take to a labor board and things like that. And also they didn't have the legal right to strike because there was no collective bargaining law. So what you had, you had, it was like the wild west, right? So um, there was a fellow that just died, a guy named Norm Swenson, God rest his soul. I was just at his memorial for many, many, many years. He was in his nineties when he passed away uh, this summer. For many years, he was president of the Cook County College Teachers Union, right, which included the city colleges plus suburban Cook County uh, community colleges. 
Well, he he led a strike in in uh, two of them. One of them was seventy one. I I think maybe the first was sixty nine or sixty eight, and he went to jail. His first jail sentence was thirty days because he refused to call off the strike, and he they let him out. He he bailed out. And the second time, I think it was like five days, but he he was put in jail because they were striking. And that didn't stop the strike. I mean, people were really motivated. Uh, one of my predecessors is the IFT president, a guy named Ed Geppert from Cahokia down south in the Metro East area, also put in jail for leading a strike. Uh, in my district in 1976, the wonderful teachers in Niles Township High School District 219, um, 267 of them went on strike out of 500 teachers, right? So think about that dynamic, just barely a majority. And they fired every one of them, like fired, you're gone. And the teachers made them do it. They said, you, we're not going to do it in one fell swoop. You're gonna, we're going to stand up and you're going to fire every one of us individually. It went out to like three o'clock in the morning at Niles West High School Auditorium. And a little bit of trivia, the board president and the school board that fired all those teachers was a woman named Shirley Garland. Does that name mean anything to you? Yeah, Her Merrick's son, mom. Merrick. Merrick's mother. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And he was at Harvard at the time. And I, my colleague said, oh, yeah, he came back and kind of yelled at us on the strike line. Uh, all those teachers got their jobs back in Cook County Court. But the point is that it was a Wild West, right? Wow. So it, it, wait, I just need to hear this history. <laughs> this is, I, I'm, I, this, you're blowing my mind with this one. Yeah. I thought I knew everything, Dan, and I didn't know this. You so know. Uh, Merrick Garland, a young scholar at Niles West, went to Harvard. Uh, his mother was the president of the school board in yep. Lincolnwood. In, in and, Skokie, in District 219, Niles Township High School, District 219. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And, Shirley, um, she just died a couple of years ago, by the way. And so as in that position, she took a Ronald Reagan stance against the striking teachers and, and millennials. Yeah. She, and she and the rest Ronald of Ronald Reagan fired all the air traffic controllers. Look it up, right. millennials, 1981. Right. Just Google right. it. R E A G A N uh, air traffic controller. I'm helping the millennials, okay? Uh, and well, I never heard of Reagan. Uh, and anyway, so she fired them one yeah, by one. The board fired them. They had a kind of uh, crazy superintendent named Wes Gibbs at the time. I, this is all history. I wasn't I wasn't there, but this has been relayed to me many. It's sort of historic. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was kind of almost like a violent strike. You know, a couple of teachers were run over by school buses. There was a bus company in those days named Meyerhofer, and the, the old man Meyerhofer who owned it got on the bus full of scabs. They brought in scabs, and he was wearing a holster. He had, he had a he had a, a sidearm in a holster because some regular teachers got on the bus to sort of say to the scabs, "You're all." GD scabs and you know this is what you're doing you're taking food from our kids mouths and Meyerhofer got on with a gun to end that I mean it was crazy with stuff like that and I would put it to you that it's largely because there was no bargaining law you know so um so what happened so we before there was the bargaining law in 1983 you would see on average we researched this about 20 teacher strikes and I'm just talking teacher strikes uh a year in Illinois after the bargaining law, it averages maybe nine, or it's in single digits, five. You, you know, this year, um, trying to think, we we were close in Decatur, but they settled, so we don't have a strike going on right now, and I don't, I don't see one. 
close to, there may be one later in the year, but, um, but you know, that's, and, and so, so when I first took this job in 2010, that's when Rahm Emanuel wanted SB1, he want, or SB7 rather, he want, that's when he put in the 75% strike threshold for Chicago teachers, right? And, and all that stuff, they tried to undo a bunch of teacher tenure provisions, undo due process provisions that we've had for years, and they succeeded in doing some of that. Um, but, you know, my argument at the time was, you are crazy to to weaken this bargaining law because it has brought stability and and predictability and actually you know man, it's, this might sound a little bit unbelievable to some people but I think it's really true for the most part management likes it too because of the stability and predictability and um, and you know we have 855 school districts in Illinois you know any given year maybe I don't know a third to a quarter of them are are bargaining a contract. You know, so if, if you think about it, it really works very well in the main, you know, well, and, uh, I would. I would say I'm thinking about this, how I want to phrase this, I would say that if you are having a private conversation. With uh, more or less honest uh, corporate types who are on school boards, uh, they would acknowledge to you that you're right. Uh, but they would never admit it. I w- am watching the resistance. They would never admit it publicly. And there is a resistance on so, on so many people to unionization, to collective bargaining rights. I see it like Starbucks. And I know we're not talking about teachers here, but follow me on this, Dan. The resistance of Starbucks to the unionizing efforts of its employees, it's just like mind boggling. Dude, you guys are wasting so much time and money. What what are you afraid of? And I think I don't even think it's a, a fear as much as more like a territorial divide. And this is I'm the boss. You're the worker. I tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. And I'll be damned. You know what I mean? If I let you do. And I, I think when I with that image of Merrick Garland's mother firing teachers is like burning in my brain right now. <laughs> and it's just like. That's the attitude. We will fire you. We'll bring in scabs. By the way, how did you guys resolve that? Like they're bringing in scabs. Were they able to open the schools? There was a Cook County judge whose name I forget. It's been told to me, but, you know, this was 1976, long before I was ever there. Uh, And he did it in his courtroom. He said, we're going to settle this. I mean, it was it was brutal. I mean, the school was stopped up for weeks. You know, they, they had to resolve it somehow. Uh, and they, they, it was a negotiated deal. They all got their jobs back. Uh, there was a no uh, retribution clause. I would say that it was pretty, um, pretty divisive within, as I said, 267 went out, right, and stayed out. But there were 500 teachers in the district then, right? So they, that, that, that was a division when I got there. Uh, the veterans would tell you uh, who 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 was a scab or who well, not a scab, but who didn't who didn't strike. You know that person didn't strike. Oh no, they and, call them scabs. Who are you kidding? I know well, how people talk. They, they tried to bring it. I mean, they they weren't really able to open the schools in any big way. And uh, scabs, I was referring to like people they were bringing in substitutes and stuff to teach versus people that cross the line. But yeah, I I mean, uh, so anyway, then um, you know. 
they didn't really have school very successfully. I think they tried with administrators and stuff like that. But I mean, and that that's really true. You know, it's interesting. You don't really see it very much anymore. But it used to happen much more that, that districts would, if there was a teacher strike, they'd still try to have school. And they'd say, you know, we're going to we're going to have the principals and the administrators teach. And it's always a disaster. And no one really tries that anymore. And if they do, it usually brings about the end of the strike because then the parents arrive with pitchforks and torches at the board office saying, we want our real teachers back. By the way, I, did I mishear you? Did I hear you correctly? Did uh, young Merrick Garland come back uh, to Lincoln Slushy? So um, a good friend of mine who was a mentor of mine, a wonderful man named Jim Sweeney, who was a great English teacher, now retired, um, was teaching at West in those days. And they all knew Merrick Garland was like a star student. He was just a brilliant kid and a great, a great student and member of the community. And um, he had gone on to Harvard and he came back in October, I guess. I don't know, maybe just maybe for the strike or whatever, but he, he kind of, this is how, this is all hearsay, you know, uh, but I was told he sort of yelled at his teachers to get back to work on the line there. So after I heard, and I did not know that story till he was uh, appointed by Obama to the, the ill-fated Supreme Court seat that never was. And, um, and then I heard that story and thought, well, maybe we don't want Merrick Garland. On the yeah. Supreme Court. I don't know. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> we man. definitely, we definitely would have preferred him to um, who got that seat Gorsuch. Got, uh, no, uh, who got, wait, let me do this in my mind. No, uh, Merrick Garland, uh, that would have been, uh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Kavanaugh. <sighs> yeah. It was Kavanaugh, uh, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch and, um, Coney Barrett, uh, Coney Barrett from Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, those are the, the Trump three, uh, fascinating story. Uh, and it's, um, Wow, I would have w- yeah. wished that the younger uh, Merrick Garland had ha- been having like a rebellion against his family. All right, well, but you know, let's read generously and say he was there to support his mother. <laughs> Man, you are feeling good these days. <laughs> you are so generous between that and NASCAR. All right, uh, He's so attorney general, by the way, what did you just say? I, I think Garland's been a fine attorney general. Yeah, fine, I, good, you know. You know He's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, uh, yeah. All right, let's not talk about Merrick Garland here. Okay. Uh, I want to um, uh, go back to something. So all those strikes that the Chicago Teachers Union had in the 70s before this collective bargaining law went in place, uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago and his appointees, it was old man daily, millennials, not baby daily, old man daily is one of the things that Richard J, not Richard M. Uh, there was a world before you were born. Uh, and um, uh, so old man Daly, uh, he just didn't go that far and imprison the union. He just he allowed uh, I, that's that's why older labor guys, Dan, tell me, you know, he was a good guy because he allowed he just he did not cr- crush the union, did not use his powers to crush the union. He will he allowed this sort of correct collective bargaining process without a collective bargaining law to continue. Do you follow what I just said? Yeah, I I do. And I mean, I think too, the context is different. Um, You know, there, there was, um, I mean, it's one thing to try to shut down a, a, you know, Skokie was a three high school district. Okay. With uh, West, East and North 
with, oh gosh, in those days, I don't know, maybe just say 8,000 students or something, maybe a little bit more between the three. Um, and to sh- and then the, the, how are, you know, what are you going to, you're going to fire 30,000 teachers and because you'd never have school again, you know? So, I, I mean, I think the context is a little different when you're dealing with that scale in Chicago. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't live in Chicago then, so I don't, I'm not, I can't tell you. I've read Boss. <laughs> I know some of the history of Old Man Daly, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm not expert in, you know, how he dealt with the teachers union back in those days. Well, it was, I could tell you this, uh, my mother, may she rest in peace, was a Chicago public school teacher and a union delegate. Uh, and we went, I lived through a lot of strikes uh, and uh, old man Daly allowed, oh, he was brilliant at this. He would allow the process to play out as though he uh, were not involved. And then at a critical moment after a strike had gone on for, I don't know, however, he said, all right, enough. And then there would be this moment, a convening in his office of, of the teachers, their union rep and uh, the board flunky that he appointed. <laughs> And he would be like, oh, it's not kids together. And so all of a sudden the board would, the point D would like cave, which, why even have this strike? Uh, and then everybody would come out bowing down. Oh, Daly. <laughs> this is so Chicago. Oh, Daly, you're so powerful and wise. And that's well, how. A little uh, kabuki theater, well-played mayor. Yes, well-played yeah. mayor. And his son uh, played that game. Uh, for a while, too, in the early 90s. Uh, I mean, they had, they had, so, I mean, some of it, too, was context. So, like, they, there were better economic times in the 90s when you, you had less, it was just generally less turbulent than the, like, 60s and 70s as a time in American society and culture. And, of course, remember, so we got the bar- bargaining law, and, I, and when we, we have a chance, I want to talk to you a little bit about the history of, like, how we got it. But, um, but remember, in 94, Five, I think it was Ben. Right when the Republicans took back the the House in in, um, in Springfield, that we lost that the Chicago Teachers Union, just Chicago, only Chicago, just those teachers. You know, the schools were given really full mayoral control, and they lost their bargaining rights on a number of topics, including wages. So um, they, it, it just, it was really terrible that Chicago didn't have full bargaining rights. We got it back, signed by JB. Uh, uh, thank God. And, and that was, you know, it was a long, that, that was like 25, certain almost what, right. What, what 95. So yeah, it's going to be <laughs> 30 years, right. Of, of having almost 30 years of not having full bargaining rights, like every other teacher in Illinois, you know, it was really extraordinary. And that was done with plenty of democratic votes too. But. Oh yeah. Oh my God. It was done on behalf of a democratic mayor, baby daily. Uh, I was talking about Richard J. Daly. Richard M. Daly was the mayor then, and he was given complete control uh, of the Board of Education. He already had control of the Board of Education effectively, but this made absolutely everything uh, under his jurisdiction. And you said limited what teachers could bargain on. And the, uh, the teachers union in those days uh, in Chicago was, uh, to put it mildly, was closely uh, allied uh, with daily and uh, well, I mean, there's there was some. There's, I'm not saying you're totally wrong about that, but I do. I mean, I was teaching in '95 in Skokie, and I remember. I mean, it was like a full 
five alarm fire, even for us as part of the IFT to say, we did full lobbying, they're going to take away bargaining rights. Like that, that was a third rail. So we, that's not, I just want it to be clear, like that no one should think that the, either the Chicago Teachers Union or the IFT or the AFL, like was like a wink to Mayor Daly, oh sure, we're okay with taking away bargaining rights. No, we fought that bitterly and, um, and then tried, you know, every session to get it back, you know, um, but but there but I, I would say that you're right in part of that, which is the, the, that Daly Jr., you know, uh, Richie uh, had in, in in the 90s, you know, for much of his term, he had a, a much closer relationship with Chicago Teachers Union leadership. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that as it may. Yeah, I'll leave Let that go. I always let my guests have the last line and I, we don't need to go down that path. Uh, but I. Yes, to put it mildly, hit it more closer. All right, let's go back to 83. Uh, and so, again, uh, this law was signed by Jim Thompson, a Republican governor. Uh, and uh, this testimony that he made, the speech that he made, was a full throttle commitment to collective bargaining rights on the behalf of, uh, well, public employees, but particularly teachers. Fast forward to where we are today, Dan. And uh, I was watching, yes, I was watching uh, last week's Republican presidential debate. Make fun of me now. Uh, I am a political junkie. So I well, watched the glad debate. You did it, so we didn't have to. <laughs> so you didn't have to. Who, I read, who wrote the I read Bob Green so you don't have to? Yeah, that, that was not, I did not write that. Uh, but it was, was that um, Dan Neil, Santo? No, no. It was, um, uh, uh, Neil Steinberg, but he oh, wrote it under a pseudo name. He didn't right. write it under Neil Steinberg. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Up name. Uh, so, so I watched the debate, and there was this moment in the debate where they were just ripping teachers' unions, and uh, they were depicting teachers' unions as the enemy of the state. Uh, and Christie, Governor Christie, who was used would ostensibly be the kind of Republican that Jim Thompson was, like the modern-day equivalent of a more or less moderate Republican. And I'm saying this with eyes rolling, laughing in disbelief at how far we've come from that model, if you will, uh, said he was speaking disparaging of Biden. And and so he said he sleeps with uh, a member of a teacher's union. (laughs) Like there's something... (laughs) Like he's sleeping with the devil. That would be his wife. Yes, that would be his wife. <laughs> Doesn't, uh, I think Christie believes that marriage is a God-given sacrament that can only be between one man and one woman, right? So Joe Biden's living that dream for yeah. him. So I don't know what, what his problem is, the fact that she's a teacher. Yes. Uh, no, a unionized teacher. They don't oh, mind teachers. Oh, Let okay. me get to They oh. don't mind teachers. They just right. don't like oh, teachers in right. unions, okay? Yeah. Uh they, they kind of have the Proco Joe Moreno attitude. He's a former alderman of the city of Chicago. Oh, yeah. The teachers went on strike in 2012. He went on Fox TV, not making us up. Dan Montgomery, you can look it up. And he said, I got nothing against teachers. It's this union I don't like. I'm like, who do you think's in the union? <laughs> it's well, teachers. That's, that's, I've heard that line from management, from the corporate world. I mean, you just hear that from people, right? And it's, it's an ancient, ancient. I mean, I'm sure Henry Ford at one point said, uh, you know, I love auto workers. It's their union. Union that, that I want to shoot down in the streets, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, 
So first of all, <laughs> the teaching profession in America is about the most densely unionized profession there is, actually. There's 1.7 million members in uh, in the AFT and I think a bit more in the NEA. So, you know, um, now there's a bunch of states in this country where you can't have collective bargaining, but, um, but they still have unions. Um, so... Um, in any event, yeah, I, I mean it. That that's crazy. I, I, I so it's God. There's so many ways to unpack this, but so it's right. It's part of this right wing culture war, right? Like they want, and they're, they're that's why they're attacking trans people and, and gay rights, and um, uh, you know, trying to ban books and undo history. To me, this is. I mean, some of them are true believers in that. They're nuts in my opinion, but they're true believers. But a lot of them, I think, are doing it for a purely political reason, which is they see this like the let's keep it on the culture war because that will um, that's an electoral strategy that, that we'll get, you know, and they don't even necessarily believe it themselves. And it keeps the focus off the the more progressive side of the world trying to say, can we talk about the huge income inequalities in this country? Can we talk about the free the massive amounts of welfare we're giving to the to corporations. Can we talk about the fact that um, that the largest employers in America right now, Walmart, and Amazon, are the most anti-union companies? Like they'll they'll close a shop, they'll close a, a work site rather than allow people the basic human right of unionizing, which is you know considered essentially a human right. Right? It's in um, you know, it's explicitly in a lot of constitutions around the globe. It's not in ours other than, you know, free speech and things like that. But um, in any event, you know, like all I'm saying is that I think that there's like it's it's this stock and trade that they have on the right wing to go after, especially teachers unions. And you saw it like Betsy DeVos. Right. You know, her her goal was as Trump's was and the right is they want to they don't want public education. They do not want public education. I would argue it's largely for race, racial reasons. Like, you know, why do we have to give all this money to public schools that service black and brown kids when, you know, let them go to private schools um, and let me have school choice and take all this public money so I can take my kid where I want to, where they won't be around black and brown kids. Um, so, uh, but, you know, public Still to this day, 90% of the kids in the country or more actually attend public schools, you know, and public schools for all its faults. And I'm not here to say there are no problems. There are they're big ones, but um, it's been the great equalizer in this country as much as we've been able to equalize and is, 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 you know, is one of the things that we've done, I think, that have allowed us to get as far as we've gotten as a more or less functioning democracy, um, you know, but but you've seen the attacks on public education really be amped up in the last few years. Well, um, I'll be really specific, yeah. and I'd love to get your response to this. I have yeah. my own theories, but I want to hear yours. Uh, I have heard so many public officials uh, in the Chicago in Chicago and in the surrounding area demonize teachers' unions, in particular, teachers' unions. The list goes on and on. I mean, I just talked about it in the presidential debate. Every single Republican presidential candidate demonizes teachers unions. In this area, we have Paul Vallis was uh, in the finals against Brandon Johnson at 48 percent of the vote. Heck of an election. <laughs> Chicago, you gave this guy 48 percent of the vote. Uh, he's 
ongoing with his demonization of teachers union. Chicago Tribune editorial board demonizes teachers union. Crane's editorial board, to some degree or another, demonizes teachers union. Kenny Griffin, the the guy who funded the, the Republican Party in the state of Illinois, demonizes Christian. Bruce Rauner, the governor, the last Republican governor, demonizes teachers union. That list goes on and on and on. A few cute, clueless Chicago aldermen did demonize them, and then they kind of changed their tune after Karen Lewis led that successful strike. Why do you think so many people and institutions and editorial boards are picking on teachers' unions as opposed to any other unions? Well, because we're one of the last bastions of resistance to the corporate agenda, if you will, you know, to the capitalist class corporate agenda, who's invested in further wage disparities, who's invested in, in, uh, in, in having really unfettered control. There's really no balance, you know, when there's capital and labor <laughs> and you're like this now, you know, when you, if you, if you trace, you know, I'm sure you've seen this, you can put a line graph of union density right? Number of workers in America in unions from say, oh, I don't know, the mid fifties, late fifties to today. And I have to think about like which side it goes down. So I think that would be, you know, you're looking at my favorite, right? If union density was high, you know, and then you get to today, goes down. if you put the weight, the income inequality graph, like it tracks that, right? So the, it's inescapable that unions are a counterweight, a counterbalance, a countervailing force to the wealthy and the corporate class. And so that's why Bruce Rauner's doing it. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if Bruce Rauner really thinks that, I don't know what Bruce Rauner thinks. I don't want to get in that head, <laughs> but, um, but they, but, but teachers unions are effectively because now what do we got? Maybe 10% of American workers in a union or so totally. And it's, it's maybe 15 to 18% in the public sector. So, right, the public, we've been able to hold on a bit more in the public sector versus the private sector. So this is sort of the last bastion. And they, and, and, you know, some, someone, you know, asked me once, like, why, why is it always a fight to get funding for schools? Like, why is that always like constantly a battle in this country? And my feeling is, yeah, well, there. There's there's no money to be made in it, right? If you're, in other words, if you're a legislator, like uh, what's what's the money or you know housing for the poor, right? Like how do I get rich on this, right? Well, the right wing's view is they're looking at the what we spend on education in this country, which is significant at the state, local, and federal level, and they want that. They want that for Pearson. They want it for their private schools. They want it uh, for you know all sorts of companies being designed now to uh, offer educational experiences. Um, you know, Pearson in the global South, my God, they're in Africa now charging a dollar a head to teach like really destitute countries who don't really have much of any kind of education infrastructure to charge them to make money to produce education for them. Instead of saying like, how do we get into Africa and parts of Africa, which don't have much education infrastructure and like the world should like help them, you know, but this is like a, a United Nations sustainable development goal. Every kid should have a free and public education. No, Pearson, and it isn't just Pearson. It's many other for-profit companies. They're like, how do we make a buck on this? Like, let's do that. 
in Illinois right now, we're fighting invest in kids, right? We have one voucher program in the state. There's, there's about 40 states now that have big voucher programs where they take public money and they pull it out and give it to people and say, we're going to give you this money so you can send your kid to whatever private school you want to. We're taking public dollars to allow you to send your kid to a religious school or a private school, whatever. Um, so in Illinois, it's relatively modest program annually. $75 million is the cap. It's sunsetting this year, by the way, December 31st, twenty. 23 is when this program ends. It was a Bruce Rauner. Um, uh, it was quid. It wasn't quid pro quo. He held the state hostage for the first budget in his four-year term, which was in 2017, his, the end of his year of his term, just about. And we got that budget, but the condition that he put on was he wanted a voucher program. Mm. So, all right. I didn't but, see any resistance, by the way, from Michael Joseph Madigan, who was the House Speaker at the time. Johnny Collard, no, the I mean, it, it was or Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who was the mayor. Yeah, I just right. throw the, that in. No, no. And, and believe me, I've been having all sorts of arguments with Democrats in the state who think like, "Why, well, gee, just like, can't we just extend this program because we hate to hurt kids?" Well, I, I got to just tee off on this a little bit. First of all, this pro- two hundred thirty-five million dollars is what's gone out the state's coffers. Okay. Uh, and these this program um, since it since it was enacted in 2017. That's about as best we can figure. So if you think like 235 million, you don't you don't think if we had that, that's almost a full year of like what we call the the ramp up on the EBF funding. So we're four billion dollars off right now per year in Illinois, full funding of K to 12. Okay, four billion with a B any given year. Like and and that's what the legislature agreed on is sort of like the minimum that we need to give a fair education to kids, and they're not there to the tune of four billion, and they want to siphon off now two hundred thirty-five billion, and you know how they siphon it off? There's it's a scholarship granted some some rich person because no no regular person could ever do this can give twenty thousand dollars to this scholarship company, and they get a seventy-five percent tax break. The state of Illinois takes 75% of what they would owe and says, no, you take it back. Yeah, tax credit. Tax credit, right? But that's money out the door from the state's coffers. What donation to any uh, charitable entity do you or I ever get 75% on for anything? You can give to Boys Boys and Girls Clubs of America, Special Olympics. I don't know what, you know, the Chicago Food Depository, whoever you want to give to. You're not getting a 75% tax break. Well, That's this crazy. is, I mean, all right, now we're on a tangent with it. I, yeah, I, I didn't expect to go down this road, but I will <laughs> say this. I've said this so many times. Uh, if you are a wealthy human being and you want to contribute to the scholarship of a student who is going to a Catholic school or a private school, uh, and you know that family is in need of assistance, just give them money. Why do you need the tax credit? If you're wealthy, you're Bruce Rauner. You're a billionaire or close to it. You're Kenny G. You're a billionaire. You you could fund every kid tuition. I would estimate that Kenny G and Bruce Rauner together can fund the tuition of every single student in the Catholic schools of the city of Chicago and the suburbs if they wanted to. But they don't want to. 
<laughs> they just want that tax credit. I mean, they want you me to do people. it while they get the tax credit, right? Yeah, and by man. the way, and then it takes money away from already underfunded other public schools. Well, the whole point is to bankrupt the public schools and bankrupt the state. Yeah. And yeah. so it's not yeah. about helping the kid. So this so so go back to your question, which is why are they for teachers unions? Who's opposed who is opposing this investing kids thing more effectively or strongly or vociferously than anyone? Yeah. The teachers unions. Okay. Uh, because we feel a responsibility to protect public education in America. So that's those that's an example of why they want us out of the way. Because then there would be no one in Springfield saying, Whoa, wait a minute, this is bad policy. All right. So or hardly anyone. Uh, let's <laughs> yeah, hardly anyone. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back to uh, 1983 and Jim Thompson. And I will ask you this question. Uh, politically, how does it change your life or the life of any teachers union or any, uh, any organization that is for funding public education? How does it change your life uh, to have no Republicans on your side? So in 1983, the st- uh, one more time, people, the governor who signed the bill who testified to the importance of collective bargaining rights of unions, who proudly proclaimed himself an ally of teachers unions. That man was a Republican. You can't find one Republican running for president right now who believes in collective bargaining rights for teachers. I'm not certain that there's any state rep, maybe you know, a Republican who will stand up for the collective bargaining rights of teachers. You know, How I, can you as a union one or two left? Okay, yeah. one or two. Okay. Yeah, but not like it was. So, and in fact, the IFT, and I, I don't, it might have been his last term. When did Thompson serve four terms? Is that right? I think he did. Well, okay, it was a little confused. This is uh, 76, 78, 82, 86, four. Because the first term, this is, this is proving my utter geekdom, Dan Montgomery. Uh, in those days, it originally the governor's race was in the same cycle as the presidential race, and the powers that be in the state of Illinois said, we were going to end this in 1978. So Jim Thompson was elected in 76 to what effectively was a two-year term, and then in 1978 he had to run for re-election. So he effectively term took 76, 78, 82, 86, four terms, but one was a two-year term. Okay, that's interesting because you said 14 and I didn't know that. So thanks for that history. Uh, His last term, the IFT, we endorsed him for governor. We endorsed him. You know, so um, that's pretty extraordinary. We haven't, that's the last time we've endorsed a Republican candidate for governor. I I would sometimes, I'd also get a member, a more conservative member say, hey, how come we don't endorse any Republicans? Well, the fact is we actually sometimes do endorse Republicans. We used to endorse a lot more, but they moved so far to the right. How can you endorse them? I'd love to be able to endorse some Republicans. Let them come back to planet Earth and, you know, be a reasonable voice of maybe some conservative like there's there's all we understand the political spectrum right and left we you know our our te- good political science and history and socialized teachers teach this like we get it um i'm trying to think if i ever voted for a republican in my life for anything maybe i don't know i can't remember but i believe uh, were you in no you were still in Detroit, michigan yeah See, I, it's, I I, in, when did you move to chicago or to 88, Illinois? 88 and you know there was a michigan governor for years a guy named uh Milliken, William Milliken, yeah. who was like like a Jim Thompson. He was a centrist Republican, 
And by today's standards, he wouldn't, he'd be a probably conservative Democrat, yeah. you know. And don't, um, you don't forget Mitt Romney's dad, George Romney. Okay, uh, here's the, a little weird piece of trivia. My parents were at Mitt Romney's wedding. Wow. It's the only time I ever saw my dad in a tuxedo and my mom in like an evening dress. And it's because my dad worked for this company that was owned by the father of Mitt Romney's wife, Anne. Isn't that Whoa, weird? That's that weird. is weird, man. Um, anyway, um, my parents were not like, you know, in with the Romneys or wealthy. But whatever, they were at the wedding. Yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, um, so anyway, so I know you want to have, you want to be bipartisan as much as you can just to show that you're not like completely aligned with one party or another. But the other party is so hostile to the existential being of a teacher's union that there's no one that you could endorse or virtually no one that you could endorse with any kind of what credibility. If you, if you follow what I just said. Yeah. I mean, you know, the state house is large um, and goes all over the state. And there are like, we, you know, we've endorsed Republicans that we've been able to work with, you know, and, and like, Republicans who say maybe we'd never agree on, you know, reproductive rights or or gun rights or something, but they, they're reasonable on education, say. And they're in a district that 100 percent the Republicans going to get elected. There's never going to be a Democrat elected there, at least in, in any near term that we can see. And their primary opponent is a mega crazy nut job. <laughs> like we've endorsed the because yeah. what we're saying you know, if, if we can do it and, and, you know, we investigate people, we look at their record and we, you know, we know them in Springfield, like, because we're saying to our members there, look, you have a choice. We're recommending for the sake of our nation and the state, like you should vote for this person. So it uh, doesn't mean we agree with everything they stand for. Um, uh, so, but, uh, and again, I, I've said this to many members who've asked me, like, how come we don't vote for or endorse many Republicans? Like, I'd love to be able for us to endorse more of them. But they, their positions and what they believe are just so antithetical to what we do and, and what we're caring for in education. How can we, you know? And that's changed. That's changed over our, over our lifetimes, right? Just trying, and really starting with Reagan when government was bad and he's talked about government schools. And, um, you know, that's been an awful long, slow train for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right to point out uh, – that the Democratic Party uh, had a moment, which has lasted longer for others, but really when that uh, movie uh, came out, uh, Waiting for Superman, which was, uh, they just, it, de- Democrats thought they could get, this was the uh, one of the lowest moments of the Democratic Party. They thought, they may, I know how their, their brains work, Dan Montgomery, they thought they could get ahead politically by distancing themselves from the teachers' union uh, demonizing the teachers union and that somehow or other would effectively convince uh, independent voters that Democrats were on their side too. And all they effectively did was help give Wisconsin over to the Republicans, Michigan over to the Republicans. Uh, and, uh, you know, they could, they didn't succeed in Illinois in giving Illinois over to the Republicans. Uh, but uh once again, shout out Karen Lewis. Uh, she led the resistance to it. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, and back, I, I would say this. I mean, Ben, and like you, you've seen all the stuff, like like Gallup polls. You know, people's opinions of unions are higher now than they've been, more positive now than they've been in, in 
60 years or something. Um, we're seeing tremendous organizing. I mean, we are, we are growing. We are growing through organizing. People want to be in a union. I can say this today. We just announced it publicly today, hot off the press. Um, we've just uh, organized 650 tenure track faculty at ISU, Illinois State and Bloomington. So they're going to be the newest local in the IFT, uh, higher ed union. Um, other unions have tried to organize them in the past and, and we have in the past too, but um, it went, you know, people want to be in unions. They see the value of it now. Yeah. More than ever before. More than there. We'll, we'll close it yeah. there. Uh, it's, yeah. it's that way, by the way, for journalists. It's, oh, my goodness. The last 10 years for journalists. The Chicago Tribune is, is a union shop, at least with its editorial workers. And if you had told me that, Dan Montgomery, uh, 20 years ago, I'd have said, you've been smoking too much reefer because that is not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Well, 20 years ago, I might. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Very right. 20 years ago, I might have been accurate. Maybe, definitely. Yeah, Let's yeah, get the math right. 40 years ago, hell, young Dan Montgomery back in Detroit. There um, so, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, shout out once again to Monica for making this happen. And it's it's a blast talking to you. I'm going to bring you back more often, all right? I, I would love that. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and we'll you know. debate at length. We're going to have a, a Dan Montgomery versus Ben Jarofsky uh, debate on NASCAR. Who's right? Oh, Who's wrong? Don't, don't make me defend NASCAR, please. Don't please. worry. All right, we'll we'll have a uh, Ben Jarofsky versus Dan Montgomery. The Detroit Pistons versus the Chicago Bulls. Well, okay, I think he's ready. He's not going to throw the Pistons under a bus. All right, thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate it. All right, ben. That's Dan yeah. Montgomery. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 